Uh, good evening and welcome to the 28th episode of the North of 49 podcast. As per the usual, I'm Scott. And you're here with your oldest friend, Curtis. You are my oldest friend, Curtis. We've been friends since grade 7, I think, yep, which is yep. kind of crazy when you think about it. But uh, since grade 7, we have followed hockey, and uh, as per the usual, we're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers, who, um, uh, as of tonight, are two wins and one loss. Uh, they've started the season with a very easy slate of games, and uh, well, let's just start off. What are your initial, initial thoughts? We've beat Calgary twice, and we've lost to Buffalo. Well, it's always nice to beat Calgary, and it's even nicer to beat them twice in a row. But, I mean, they've shown some of the same bad habits they've always had. Um, getting outshot, losing the face-offs by wide margins, things of that nature. That said, on a positive note, a game like the first game of the year, or even the, the second one, those are games they would have probably coughed away in the end. And they did end up pulling it out. So that was a little bit different. Uh, tonight's game was more of what we're used to, really. I think uh, I think after the the first two games, in particular the way McDavid played, uh, people would, were so over the moon, and you start to get drawn in. It's almost good for the fan base that the Oilers had a game like they did tonight, where they were really poor, um, not as bad as the score suggests. I think Cam Talbot uh, sort of made the score a lot worse than they thought, but. Uh, I think in a lot of ways that was a good thing to adjust expectations once more. Uh, basically that today's game, some of those uh, surface stats that uh, I'd mentioned earlier, you know, shots on target, things like that, the Oilers actually had the advantage for the first of the three games of the season. Just the scoreline wasn't in their favor. Uh, Talbot was really bad today. He's actually been pretty bad all three games. Today was just extra special. <laughs> he just seems rattled. I don't know. Uh, isn't he having a kid or something like that? Yeah, twins on the way, like, could be being born right now for all I know. Maybe he's distracted. That's an unfortunate situation today where you get pulled in a game, the backup comes in, plays okay for a few minutes, gets injured, and then you have to go back in as an emergency replacement well, to get he, further shelled. He went full cluche today and allowed that uh, bouncer from center ice. That Do you know, that that wasn't even that. That puck bounced once and it bounced pretty true. This wasn't a Veskotoskala moment where like the puck is bouncing in wild directions. He just missed it. Yeah, like I, it went I, stick, I would think when yeah. you're a goalie, you shouldn't probably, you know, when you're dead center of the net, and it does go pretty close to dead center into the net. You don't contort your body to make it easier to grab it with your glove, therefore opening the net. Just block mm -hmm. it with your body. The, a very center of mass type situation <laughs> going on there. I, so I've been looking at, uh, I've been thinking about the orders and, and what they have to do at Gates this year. Because as we know, the past, I want to say four or five seasons, the season has been over really by the end of the year. Uh, and then with the orders play 55, 60 games that are meaningless. So this year, unlike last year, they have a really, really easy schedule out of the gate. And I think October is actually strangely crucial for the Oilers. They have Carolina at home next. That's one of the easiest games you're going to get. St. Louis at home, tough game. Jets on the road, not tough. Capitals, eh. The Canucks, easy. Ottawa, easy. Toronto, easy. And then they have 
that's the uh, Toronto's the start of a road swing where they go at New York Rangers, at Islanders, at Detroit, at Pittsburgh. So I really think it's important the Oilers get out of the gate something like you know eight and four, at least comfortably above five hundred. And if they can do that, maybe they'll remain relevant a little bit longer this year. But if they start badly, this is going to go off the rails as always. Yeah, I'm a little worried that they're fragile, but I'm hoping guys like mentally fragile, I should say. But I'm hoping guys like Lucic and that that have kind of been around the block a little bit can can hold some of that together. Chris Russell's been a, a bit of a revelation thus far. He's. Uh, I've always liked Chris Russell. Well, I know that everybody said his advanced stats were no good and blah, 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 and, and that very well might be true. I haven't looked myself, but you know, he's passing the eye test thus far, and he's playing with Andre Sekarash, who it's like maybe the worst defenseman on the team at this point. Oh, I, oh come on. We have we have a pretty questionable pairing in Eric Riva and Darnell Nurse back there. Well, Darnell is just afraid to trip over the blue line. Sekarash, that first game which is, the, of course, the one I watched uh, the most closely. The number of mistakes that he made and, like, glaring, terrible defensive mistakes, I, I couldn't believe he was still on the ice. But I guess you can't pull your probably most seasoned veteran in the first game of the year. When you hear a guy's advanced stats are bad like Chris Russell, how much does that affect your opinion of a player? You know, I got to say, hockey advanced stats... They have weird names, and I haven't taken enough time to really read into what they mean. I, yeah. I understand them on like the surface. Yeah, I I don't get them. I'm just not, I'm not a hundred percent convinced. It's things like possession stats make sense. That's that's generally pretty good in any sport, but mm-hmm. most of them I'm kind of like eh, meh. I, but I'll just play. I I'll think, play devil's advocate with Chris Russell for a second. Or sort of jump in. He's played for five teams, and most of the teams he spent his time with have been terrible. He spent three years with the Columbus... No, sorry. Five years with the Columbus Blue Jackets, or parts of five years with Columbus. Then he went to St. Louis when they were a lesser team, and then he went to Calgary where they only had one good year. So really, this is a guy who's played a lot of defense for a lot of bad teams. And now he's going to the worst of them all. This is the greatest challenge he's faced yet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my thing with... Uh... Like I'm an advanced stats guy. I love advanced stats. I was I was into the baseball advanced stats craze when it came around in the early 2000s. I the thing with hockey is that it's surface level stats. The things you see in a box score, hits, shots, like just penalty minutes, things of that mm-hmm. nature, uh, faceoff percentage. Those tell enough of a story for me. I don't need to see much more than that to know whether a team was really in it. It's like looking at a, a soccer box score and looking at possession mm-hmm. and shots slash shots on target. That that tells me a lot about how the game probably was. A general was feeling, yeah. I, I just, okay. I, I just, I have, I have, so I have a lot of issues with like my my issues with advanced stats. It's not that you know they're nonsense, but. Players are asked to do different things. Players have better chemistry. Players are played out of position. Some players play through injuries. Some don't. And I just think that the, the demands of the coaches on players um, have a great impact on how they perform. So I just don't think simply boiling it down to if he has done well with you know tough zone starts or where the coach plays a player is enough for me to decide if he's good or bad. 
even though the analytical community has immediately decided Chris Russell's a bad player without ever seeing him play. I think that that's maybe it's because we've watched so much hockey in our lives that we like we've grown up with it. That I mean, like I played as a kid. That I understand hockey. I understand generally speaking what a player playing a certain position is supposed to do. So when I'm watching uh, the Oilers play, and you know a center doesn't back check effectively or a defenseman is terribly out of position, I notice it right away. I don't need an advanced stat to tell me that a guy consistently makes the wrong play. I can see it with my own eyes. A sport like baseball or basketball or something like that, an advanced stat helps me because I, I, it's just not ingrained in me to, to know what to look for. I, I do think that the advanced stats, it helps people have an opinion when they've never seen players play. So realistically, how many teams can you follow closely in the NHL? One or two? I mean, you'll probably... Uh, you know, average fans like you or I are we're gonna have opinions on teams in the Oilers division, uh, teams that are showing nationally all the time. So you or I have an opinion on say the Blackhawks and obviously the Leafs and the Canadians and teams like that that you can't help but to see. But I think it helps people who well helps. I think it uh, I think it has a bit too strong of an impact that people draw opinions on players say from Columbus or Florida without ever having seen them play or what they're trying to do down there. It's that true. Could just be, yeah. Well, football is probably the only sport where uh, somebody that is uh, a football writer or football expert can probably watch, a, I don't want to say a good portion of most of the actual games, but they can get the gist of a game and see enough of the plays to, to, yeah. to, to get a feel for a team or a player. You, you just, there's too many games in hockey. Like, mm-hmm. How could you? It's just not possible. How could you? Yeah, you don't have the time. unless you're, And you really have to devote your life to it. But uh, we got way off the Oilers here. So, Sorry. Um, Sorry. Basically, no, that was both of us. Um, so, basically, uh, how do you feel with the lineup? No, I didn't mind it. When they were skating out for that first game and they were naming some of the guys, uh, I mean, I have to admit, I was like, who's who's Anton Slepeshev? Yeah. But, I liked the look of the lines. I, I thought that it was... it. You know, the exact thought that went into my mind was that looks like an NHL hockey team. <laughs> well, I will say... Uh, I'll, I'll argue a little bit here. I have some real problems with the, the Warriors have done this year. They, they tried to address some weaknesses. Um, maybe it's because I didn't follow the preseason. I was unaware that they were actually going to play Anton Lander this year. And... That was only because their penalty killing was so bad in the first game. Lander is a terrible hockey player. He should not be in the NHL. We knew this last year. And I'm going to butcher this name, but Pulajavarvi, whatever. Jesse, is his first name Jesse, or is that, uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, I think you've got all the spins mixed up. There's too many. Yeah, no, no, it is Jesse. We're just going to call him Jesse from now on. I don't know much about him. It does seem curious that we are rushing another guy to the NHL who is, who based the consensus was he wasn't a lock to start in the NHL this year, and for the Oilers just to push him up into the lineup simply because we traded Yakupov for nothing again seems like a curious decision. Yeah, he he needs to go down to the minors for some proper seasoning. There's no need to rush him. It's not like we're winning a well, Stanley Cup this year with him. The need the is they they have no cover. Oh, because they've like, got some who, other random fins down there. Oh, we're just going to bring up... I mean, I, I don't know. It's very curious. Wasn't that uh, Wasn't that kid who's the, the U.S. college star supposed to make the team? Yeah, he was on the... 
he was wearing a suit on the bench in the first game. Khalid Kagiglia or whatever the hell his name. Uh, yeah, Drake. And he's a Drake center too, right? Uh, he is. I think he's a center. He's a center. Yeah. So he was sort of. I think a lot of people thought he was going to be the third or fourth line center. What's well, well, like? Why? Here's what I don't understand. Okay, so he's a center. He's yeah. a, a natural center, whatever the terminology they like to use is. You're trying to tell me yeah. he can't play a little wing? <laughs> like, I, th- that's what I don't understand. Like, for whatever reason, like, a guy is a left winger, and that's what he is. It does seem in a pinch. Uh, like Team Canada has proven that these players are when you know when uh, we have too many great centermen, they can play on the wing, and it does not seem to be yeah, a big just issue. Just bring them all, and then when a guy gets tossed out of the face off or whatever, then you can put an actual center in there too. Like, uh, it just seems. Uh, un- Underthought, overthought, I don't even know if it's either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's curious, but uh, one player who's clearly a center is Connor McDavid. Well, and, he's uh, the, he's I, the center I, of attention, Scott. He is. Um, I'm going to ask you before I go into the Olympic spiel about this. If you had to rank the best players in hockey, where would McDavid be? Oh boy, you're, we're going hyperbolic already. Yeah, I know. Let's, let's okay, I'm, I'm going to preface what uh, I'm going to preface what I'm going to say with. It's just a, a minor spiel. Yeah. Obviously, we've seen a lot of number one draft picks. We, we've seen a few on other teams, even. They generally don't live up to the expectations. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear things like best guy since Crosby, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's pretty hard to believe it. And I mean, like last year, he obviously was great, particularly at the end of the year, but the injury kind of derailed the season. So, I can't say, like, he was obviously very good, but I, I didn't have, like, a, a, a gut feeling about him one way or another. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. He is beyond fantastic. He is he's so much better than 99% of the other hockey players. I, I, before, right before the season started, I was scrolling through Twitter, and somebody on there had their predictions for um, the Oilers' top point scorers. And I think they had him on there for, like, 93 points. Yeah. And like most players, there's how many like two players in the league a year get over ninety points? Two so or three. I, I yeah. actually, yeah. I I laughed out loud because I thought that that was so preposterous, and maybe today notwithstanding, two games in, yeah, ninety three points sounds about right. I'm in on that. The the over under because I, I placed a lot of bets this year on over under for point totals. The over under for Connor McDavid was eighty seven point five or eighty six point five. Big number. And so that's non-Oilers fans saying that's what he's good for. If he stays healthy, I think he's going to push 100. Uh, he will probably get there. Because uh, if you look at these games, those first couple games, he really could have had five or six points against Calgary, either one of those games. Oh, he was and tonight, everywhere. Yep. Yeah. And tonight, even though tonight was, you know, by his standards, a bad game, and Buffalo did a really nice job with him, he still set up three or four teammates. Like, there's a play he makes in the first period where Lucic... Uh, floats a puck over to him, and he bats it out in midair, and just and just cushions the perfect backhand pass to I think it's uh, Drew Saddle in front of the net, and he almost finishes it. It's just a phenomenal play. I, I to answer your question, top ten. It's got to be top ten, I figure. Mm-hmm. I think so too. The rest of the team, however, <laughs> the, uh, I like I that they're bigger. Of... I do like that they're bigger. I appreciate the uh, when Lucic went after England in the first game. 
after uh, McDavid was hit into the boards, I think mm -hmm. for a second time by a Calgary player. Um, Cassian has a little edge to his game when he's when he's uh, heads in the right spot. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody likes Patty Maroon. At scrumming it up after the plays around the nets. I appreciate that. I appreciate that kind of hockey. I, I think I think um, the orders have been rightly criticized for some of the moves they've made. But at the end of the day, they have addressed some of their most pressing concerns. There's a large forward on every line who will stand up for his smaller teammates. They've added defensive depth at an extremely high cost, granted, but they have dealt with this, so they have something resembling six NHL defensemen. Maybe not as you know highly touted as a lot of fans will have you think. But I think they've at least done the obvious things as they try to rebuild this franchise. You know, I, when you have a guy like Lucic signing with the team, when he didn't have to, he could have gone anywhere else. Some of it, you know, if you believe what's written or said, is because of the new building or the chance to play with McDavid, things like that. I didn't. I I just wondered about those things. The money must have just been better. Mm -hmm. But when you see McDavid now, yeah, I could see guys being like, you know, I I could go, I could go play there. Well, Lucic made no secret about it. It was really funny how candid he was that he wanted to be on a line with this uh, future or current star, and uh, so hitch his wagon to that guy. I thought that was really curious that players think that way. It it is weird, especially in a league where. Um, you know, a star doesn't necessarily win you anything. It helps, but you still need a good hockey team. I think he will... I think McDavid is good enough to drive the Oilers to competency this year, which is a massive jump from where they've been. If you had to pick a point total, what would you pick? For the Oilers? Yeah. Um, I'm not willing to go with enough for the playoffs, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know. What does that get you then? 80 points? Well, playoffs now with the loser point is around 96 usually. 96. Jeez, it's, like his yeah. point, it's like McDavid's point totals. Yeah. Um, okay, well, maybe, maybe 90, even though that's still quite a jump from last year. I think I would go around 84 or something like that. Because last year they had 70. But this team, if they don't suffer catastrophic injuries, should at least be competent. Any early impressions on Adam Larson? Solid. That's really all I got for you. Solid. Solid. I, he does. He does like to hit. He does like to hit. I, I I have noticed that, and I do appreciate it. Yes, it's a real pleasant change of pace because we haven't had a player like that in a long time. He. You know, did they get fair value for Taylor Hall? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But, you know what? When I've always said that I appreciate uh, a safe defenseman that you don't notice too much because it means he's doing his job. You do notice Larson a little bit, and I don't mean that in a bad way. The things like the hitting and whatnot, that's what you notice him for, and the rest you don't notice him so mm -hmm. much because he's not doing the most boneheaded things you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So you know what? He's exactly what they needed. So good on them. It cost a lot, but it had to be done. I'm curious to see if uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if he and Clefbaum, Clefbaum, who was terrible tonight, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm really interested if, if that 
will be able to function as a top pairing. It's going to be it's going to be interesting because the Oilers fans have talked of Oscar Kleffbaum for years, but he's played. I'm going to look this up so I don't get this wrong. He's played 110 NHL games. I'm surprised it's even that many. Yeah, he's been around for a while, but he's had injuries and stints in the minors. And we're talking about this guy like he's a sure thing, and that's an awful lot to ask of a player who's who's been okay when he's been here, but he hasn't exactly established himself as a as a star. Pardon me, as a star, let alone a a top pairing defenseman. I've got a random question for you, and this yeah. is mildly off topic. If you were one of the players that consistently comes to Oilers camp and doesn't make the team or a fringe player, someone I suppose like Anton Lander, but I'd even think like a step below that. Yeah. Um, Dylan Simpson or, you know, players like that. Yeah. Why keep trying? (laughs) There's still a lot of money to be made, I think, as a minor leaguer. I know, but like, why wouldn't you go to like... I know the KHL has has its pros and cons, but like you could go to Switzerland and make the same or more money and be able to actually play in front of like obviously not as well. I guess you could argue maybe bigger crowds. There's than, a couple of huge buildings in Switzerland, yeah. But at least like in the smaller buildings, the fans are all standing and shit. Like I just think that would be a better life choice than going I think to it, Bakersfield. I think, is, I think the answer is. When you make that move to Switzerland or Sweden, you are making a concession. Your NHL career is probably over. Now, there have been exceptions, of course, but this tends to be guys who are sort of, you know, bouncing around and they hit 30, 31, and they say, okay, I've had enough of this, you know, riding the bus on this, these lousy minor league teams waiting for that call, so I'm going to go. Because if you're like Dylan Simpson and you're like, you know, your early 20s and you're close you probably still think in a year or two I might get there or with injuries I'm going to get the call up and I'll, I'll get my chance. But I really think that's when you just sort of, when you know it's over and then you go to Europe because it is a better lifestyle. That'd be my guess. Yeah. Yeah, Dylan Simpson, not the best example. He's too young probably. Oh. But, but, but yeah, it does, like the guys who go to Europe almost always seem to be in their 30s when the NHL dream has been well and truly extin- extinguished. So... Right, but, you could go play like Spangler Cup. Like, I think I'd go for that. Uh, I have one more. Uh, one more. I don't like to jump to early conclusions too much uh, because Oilers fans are notoriously bad for this. But I can't handle watching Benoit Pouliot much more longer if this is going to continue to happen. Because when you're literally known for a guy who takes idiotic penalties in the offensive zone, do you remember that the one playoffs where that really came into vogue? Like. Ray Ferraro was losing his mind because Pouliot would take one or two penalties a game. And for him to be benched in back-to-back games, and he's the arguably the oldest regular forward on this team. I think they don't have many guys over 30. He's 30. And he is the stupidest forward on this team. I just, I cannot fathom how that keeps happening. He's very Oilers, that's for sure. It is weird that guys come from from good hockey teams. Granted, he obviously made some some boneheaded decisions back then too, but can come and it's like they like completely regress. There is something to a good hockey team that does seem to raise the game of 
certain yeah, but players. He's, he's always done this stuff, Curtis. He's always, always uh, taken super penalties. I agree that he's always done that. I, I remember that playoff run for whatever reason. Yeah. But he had more to contribute on a better team. Here he's just a drain. Did you know you talk about uh, funny stat lines? His stat line tonight, amazingly, was plus one, one goal, four penalty minutes in four and a half minutes of ice time. Four and a half minutes. He got benched after his second moronic um, offensive zone penalty. But uh, that, how often do you see actually score a goal in four minutes, manage two penalties, and get benched? That is that is phenomenal. But, at, le- at least, at least we know the coach has noticed. Yeah, his, his numbers for the Oilers have actually been pretty good. He played; he's been hurt both years, but he had 58 games in his in his first season, 19 goals and 34 points. Second season, 55 games, 14 goals, 36 points. Like if he played a full season, he's working at almost probably about a you know 50 55 point pace, which is I think more than you would have hoped for even. Uh, but the penalties are too much. It's just he's just too stupid. Yeah, and he's. You have to remember, he is playing top two line minutes, so I should hope that he's putting up fifty points. That's true. It is fair that the guy, if you're in that position, you're naturally going to pick up a, a number of points. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's too early to have too many like official th- thoughts on any given player. So I, McDavid's great. Drysaddle's been pretty good. I like the big guys. I don't know, everybody else has been relatively quiet. I'm happy for a guy like Pitlick to actually... Well, it seems it's his last chance. That's the type of guy who's been chasing it for a while, right? So. Well, he, he had a lot of bad luck. He was always, like, getting hurt during uh, training camp, like, things like that. I always feel bad for guys like that. All right, well, uh, to end our podcast, I have one more question for you. Um, Don Cherry and uh, his rambling and coherent <laughs> uh, coach's quarter yesterday uh, said that the Oilers were wrong to name... McDavid, their captain. What do you think? I personally have never understood the placeholder captain thing. Like, if we're all admitting that, well, he's basically the captain, he just needs a year or two, just make him the captain. Like, if if he's not ready to be the captain now, granted he's very young, then he's probably not ready to be the captain. So just get to it. Does it even matter? I, you know, you always hear these, like, uh, the legends of when the Oilers were good in the 80s and Mark Messier would, like, throw guys up against the wall and threaten them if they weren't playing well. I feel like those things don't happen anymore or arguably probably didn't happen all that much in the day. So I have to say probably not. Uh, I think if... Jonathan Taves is your captain. He probably leads by example on the ice, and maybe that gives you a little inspiration. But I, I suspect there's not too many guys that are going in there yelling at everybody. I doubt it matters very much, but it does sound like McDavid is already the leader, so I'm with you. Why waste time? Just give, and who else is going to be the captain, really, on this team? Well, yeah, well, we're going to make like Mark Letesti the captain for a bit, like, yeah, we, we we already went the uh, we went the you know placeholder on Andrew Ferrance role, and I think if this guy's the natural leader, he's actually you know he actually is leading the team. Just give him the give him the seat. Who cares? And you know what? Here's a question: What do you think Andrew Ferrance does in a day? Now? 
now. Yeah. He probably does morning workouts and uh, yoga classes and Tai Chi. Think so? You should go on like this... breakfast television with Jason Strudwick or something like that and just really get after it. He does seem cut out for something like that. That almost is his calling. He was basically the you know media relations for the orders for the last two years anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question what guys do like that when they're newly retired. Like he'll be probably like, you know, 36, 37, right? Pretty much, yeah. He, yeah. he, could, he could be the new uh, PJ Stock. He's still, like, he's still under contract with the orders? Or is that contract finally done? Uh, no, he's still under contract. He's just on the long... Long, long, yeah. long term IR. The, the uh, yeah, the sort of active retirement thing. Okay. Anyway, Curtis, anything else with the Oilers today? Not really. I'm sure. Given a few more games, I'm sh- probably get shelled by St. Louis on Thursday, and uh, we'll have a few more thoughts. Okay. Well, we'll try to we'll try to drop by, and uh, we'll try to do semi regular Oilers podcast as long as uh, as long as the team is watchable. Because I know if uh, if they're terrible, you and I have a hard time. Hard time sitting down to watch these games anyway. So yeah, that, that, that's when we start to check in biannually. Yes, yes, and then we'll just do general yearly reviews. So uh, I guess that's it for today. Uh, we'll try to be back later this week with uh, well, we've got a couple topics in the in the chamber, so we'll see if we can get to the get together and do those. So uh, I guess that's all for now. Thank you, everyone. Uh-huh.